right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. Here on KLWN. We got a fun show today. That's because uh, fun stuff happened over the weekend. Isn't every show fun? I, I do have fun on every show. Yes, okay, I do. That's good. But yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you, you try to remind people we're having fun. <laughs> so much fun. Uh, so we're going to recap the KU West Virginia game throughout the show today. We got some uh, post game audio. Bill Self, players spoke with the media afterwards at Case of the Mondays. We're going to be joined by a couple guests today Graham Doran, who does great bracketology work. We had him on last week. We're going to get an update on where things stand with the bracket, with KU, all that sort of stuff with Graham. Uh, so looking forward to that. I just I just remembered uh, we need to make sure we ask Graham. We said, we said this last week. The hypothetical, if KU would have lost every game in December, or was it November? Oh, in November. November what, what, what would be their be? seed? What would be their seed? So uh, we'll make sure to ask that with Graham. Also, Zakaya Franklin of the KU women's basketball team. They got a big win against Oklahoma State yesterday. They have a big one on senior night on Wednesday night against Iowa State uh, to try to maybe secure a, a bid to the NCAA tournament or maybe move up a little bit in terms of where they are. So we'll talk with her at 425. We start, though. KU takes down West Virginia and a closer-than-to-be-expected game. Uh, 76 to 74, the final score. KU able to pull it out in the end. It, it felt like a game that you know West Virginia just kind of hung around the whole time. Every time yeah. KU had some sort of play or run that pushed it to like five, six, seven, eight points, and it was like, okay, here they go. Now they're gonna pull away. <laughs> it felt like like Eric Stevenson or Trey Mitchell would just like hit a three, and then it would be back to like a, a one or a two possession game. And um, in the end, you almost kind of blew it. You almost turned the ball over too much and have too many free throw issues. But you found a way to win. It's all that matters, and Texas loses to Baylor. You are one win away. Take care of business at home against Texas Tech on senior night, and you win at least a share of the Big 12. Yeah, the big picture here is it was really a great weekend for Kansas. Everything that really could have happened that would go their way went their way, basically. Now, when you look into it, again, like you said, the game was a little closer than you probably would have wanted it to be, and the game was a bit ugly and not in a good ugly way, in a bad ugly way. Is there a good ugly way? There is. Uh, you know, I think like the TCU, TCU game. game was yeah. a good ugly. This was a bad ugly. There was a lot of turnovers by both teams. A lot of fouls by a both teams. A lot of teams. offensive fouls. Yes. A lot of fouls. That really, really kind of created a herky-jerky game. And for KU, yeah, those two things, turnovers and fouls, almost hurt them and almost cost them the game at the end. The turnovers and then, the, I guess, the, the free throw shooting uh, almost almost came back to, to bite them at the end, but they, they managed to survive and... This is another one of those games where, and I, I think, especially for KU, you're going to have a, a multiple of these games every year where it's just like, you get through it, you got the win, now you're just going to forget about it. Yeah. Like, is anybody going to remember in three years, oh, remember that time that KU beat West Virginia by two? Nope. The game before they almost, they, they locked no, up the like, No, like, let me go look at last year and I can pick a game that I guarantee we can do the same thing. Exactly. Um, every year, and especially it'll, it'll with your home conference game. 
Like I, I could pick non-conference games. There'd be a lot of them. Like remember when? No, KU, I think no. Even conference games too. Yeah, uh, conference games last year. Let's see. Um, do you remember much from? Let's see. Hmm. I mean, there's a lot to choose from, so I'm, I'm trying to pick which one. <laughs> uh, do you remember what much from KU beating Oklahoma State at home last year, 76 to 62? No. Do you remember much from KU winning at Oklahoma last year, 67 64? Vaguely. Uh, what about at Kansas State, 78 75? No, okay, that was the big comeback game. Yeah, never mind. That was the big comeback game. Yeah, you get the at point. Oklahoma there are, State. There are games where you just you win them. And you're like, okay, now we're just going to not remember yeah. that anymore and forget about it. And that's that's just what it is. And this is one of those games because there's a lot to forget about it. Bad free throw shooting at, at important situations, especially from Jalen. Right? Even Jalen missed that. How many free throws did he miss at the end? I think he missed like three or four towards the end of the game at least. Yeah, he went one for one on the, the big one at the end there. I think Grady missed a free throw toward the end too. I mean, it was just bad free throw shooting from KU all around. And, and you but know, Jalen finished three of six from the line. I yeah, think all three of his ideal. misses were in the last like five minutes. Well, so I I I feel like this comment has been overblown to a point where it, it makes it sound like Bill Self uses it every year, like from a fan lexicon. Okay. But I can only remember it happening one time maybe twice it was the comment that bill self made about three-point shooting and he called it fool's gold with some of the way that the the shots that were falling in a specific game for ku that it was a bit of fool's gold that they weren't like playing great overall but they were just hitting some shots and so it was fooling you into thinking that the team was playing like gold when in reality they were not they were just hitting (laughs) tough shots that you can't really count on to continue to make and that's a little bit of what Saturday's game felt like to me. Like, if you compare it to the game before against TCU, we talked about in the aftermath, that will probably be Bill Self's favorite favorite regular season win this yes. season, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, unless, you go into, unless you go into Texas and just, like, blow them out. Yeah. I mean, that's probably your number one, yeah. And that game, for me, was probably going to be one of Bill Self's least favorite wins. Because you look at it, it was... Not a good rebounding game. You have 14 offensive rebounds. I think they had 9 or 10 in the second half. You had way too many turnovers. You had 19 of them. And albeit, you know, what, seven of those were offensive fouls that, you know, not all of those get called that game. It's still too many turnovers than normal. You didn't have a great defensive game. Like, you you kind of struggled stopping West Virginia. You didn't make them play bad. Really, the one thing that went for you is you just made shots. And I and I get it, like, good teams are going to make shots more than they're not. And also, there's going to be games over the course of a season where you just do win because you make shots. That That's part of basketball, right? You got to make, make shots to, to make win. Shots to win. You do, yeah. you do. Yeah. And expert, to, KU's credit, to KU's credit, like, outside of the Kevin McCuller banked in three, because that one is a little bit like, wow. Although, to be fair, Trey Mitchell <laughs> hit one off the, the back of the rim and in, so I guess those equal out. Oh, yeah, that one where it just like, hit the back of the rim and just died yeah. and then fell in. So realistically, those kind of cancel out. Um, but, you know, for the most part, Kansas was getting open looks. So you do give Kansas credit in terms of, hey, you worked hard to get open looks, and you got them. Right, this wasn't just Kansas hitting a bunch of contested shots. Like they were doing a good job running the offense to get those looks. So I don't yeah. mean it from I don't mean it from the standpoint of like that they shouldn't have won or anything like that. I mean it from a standpoint of how they won the game is not the way Bill Self wants to necessarily win 
a game like that. So kind of like you said, an ugly game in terms of it being closer than you would expect and some of the weird things. But at the same point in time, it wasn't an ugly game because both teams shot it well. So I, I, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think that'll be one of Bill Self's favorite games. Worst game from the bench since... Oh, gosh. Since... At least probably January, right? <laughs> yeah. If, okay, if you look at plus minus, the plus minus for the bench was minus 26. That is... Combined. Whew. Plus minus for the bench combined. Minus 26. And Bobby and Ernest, I think, were the guys that had the really the roughest games. So Bobby, in in less than four minutes for Bobby, he did not attempt a shot. He had one rebound, two fouls, and three turnovers with no assists and no steals. And in less than three minutes, his his plus minus just by himself was minus eleven. Eesh. In less than four minutes on the floor. Well, you know what's I mean, even scarier that's, about that's that? That's hard to do. Dewan Harris suffers an injury toward the end of the game. Yeah, and that yeah. is very concerning on its own. Now you throw in yeah, the because, fact. Think about it. The injury to Dewan Harris, that was what almost cost KU the game because they couldn't get past the press yes. late in the game. And now add to it that your backup point guard just had that game. Probably his worst game of the season, maybe. And that your other kind of backup point guard uh, went one of five in ten minutes for three points with a turnover or yeah. two. And then Ernest, all, Ernest again, Ernest played less than three minutes. He played just under three minutes, and he also had two turnovers and two fouls with no points and one rebound. Mm-hmm. So, a tough a tough game for the bench. Yes. Now, in the in the scheme of the past month or two, this looks like an outlier. But when you look at the greater context of the season and how the bench was not really doing much for a while, I think maybe you might have a little bit of flashbacks to that. But I don't think you need to be too concerned, assuming Dewan Harris is fine. Yes. Which, so Bill Self talked to the media today. Um, and he said that he's hoping Dewan practice today, and that he's hoping to have him back for the game tomorrow. Okay, I have a question. Yeah, why do they why do they do this thing where Bill Self talks to the media before the games before they practice? Because people always ask him questions like, "Oh, how you know what you know what's going on I with this player, whatever, whatever." And then he's just like, "Well, oh, I've seen him yet today. We haven't practiced." What, what are we doing? I mean, I think one once they're done with practice, they kind of want to like just not uh, either go else. watch film or no, go home fine. or whatever, right? No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but I think number two, you think it's intentional? I do think it's a bit intentional. I mean, think about it; it gives you a bit of a no, like it gives you excellent cover for right. any questions related to anybody, right? Right. Because you can just be like, "Well, I haven't seen him yet today." And also, if Texas Tech goes into the game and you know Bill Self says today, "Hey, Dewan didn't practice. We don't think he's going to play." Tech is going to go into the game being no, like, fine. hey, let's pressure as no, much as possible. it's one of those things that makes a lot of sense internally, but it's like, mm-hmm. for the purposes of us. Right. For it doesn't our give show, us much information. Like, what we're doing, it's fine. it sucks. But I will say, the fact that he said he's hopefully practices today and that he'll have him back for the next game, that does tell, like, if it was something where Dewan's injury, and I don't totally know what the injury classification was. I mean, was it an ankle? Like an was ankle, it a foot? I think it's an ankle, but... If I mean, he if you suffered, look at the replay, it's like he goes up to contest the shot, and then I think it was Stevenson or whoever, mm-hmm. like, kind of fell onto his ankle. So that's what it looked like to me. Well, but again, like, I'm I'm not a doctor; I just play one on the radio. If if hypothetically he suffered a high ankle sprain that was going to cause him to have surgery and be out six weeks, he wouldn't have said we're hopeful to have him back at practice, right? So probably that does not. give you a little yeah. bit of an indication that. Yeah. yeah, it probably is closer to being like a low-level sprained ankle, a rolled remember, ankle. Remember, Dorn had an ankle problem earlier in the season yeah. too. Yeah, I don't know like if it's a week sa- I don't know if it was the same one or not. Yeah, I don't either. But but yeah, I mean, it's very it's, bad. It's certainly something to monitor because 
The difference between having Dewan versus not having Dewan. No, not even that. It's not just the difference versus having Dewan versus not having Dewan. I mean, that that could really be the difference in you losing the first weekend. Yes. But it's the fact of it's are you going to have 100% Dewan versus non-100% Dewan? Because we saw in that little three-game losing streak for KU. Yeah, but that was a, with a different, hit his head. Different, so a yes. different, you would think. But, but we saw the impact it had on KU when he's yeah. not 100%. Oh, yeah, 100%. And even, and even worse is... Look at DeWan's last three or four games. He's been playing his best ball of the season. I mean, he, just, he had 17 points in this game against uh, against West Virginia on seven of, on seven of nine shooting, right? His, his assist to turnover ratio is 9,000 to one over the last four games. <laughs> Factual. His assist turnover ratio is 800 million to one over the last four games. Do you think if a player didn't it's two score... two quadrillion to one. If a player didn't score an entire season... But had nine thousand assists, so that'd be thirty assists a game to one turnover. You think they'd win national player of the year? <laughs> they'd have to, right? I that's I, such yeah. an absurd number. I mean thirty assists a game. Thirty a game to one turnover? <laughs> it doesn't no, matter. He could never take a shot. It's like the most valuable player in history. I don't know. You would have to I mean, yeah. You would think. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Um, that would really put to the test, though, the theory of like, oh, the media only cares about scoring and whatever, right? <laughs> like he had th- but he had 30 assists. <laughs> that, mean, that means he would have had to have assisted on literally every yeah. made basket for yeah, your team. Yeah, typically, like, if you have 20 assists in the game, it's like, oh, okay, that was a good assist game. Yeah. You know? Like, so, yeah, KU, made, KU made 28 field goals in the game against yeah. West Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd have to assist on literally every single That's shot funny. your team ever makes for the entire season. Mm. Is that yeah. even possible? No, probably not, but that's why it's so absurd to talk about. Um, so, yeah, they, they need Dewan back, and, and we'll see yeah. what, what that is. That's probably the biggest negative from the game. Uh, if we're talking biggest positive, honestly, like as much as I did just say it is a bit of fool's gold in, in one one sense of the game, it was nice to see that again because low-key, Kansas has kind of been struggling shooting the basketball from three over the last handful of games. So in the previous two games, the two games coming up to the West Virginia game, which would have been what uh, – TCU and, and Baylor, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Kansas went 9 of 37 from 3. That's 24%. And if you go back... That's not very good. ...and look at the six games prior to West Virginia, so that's a that's a three-week span of games leading up to the West Virginia game, Kansas was shooting just 29% from 3. Well, I mean, you look at... You you go back to, like, the Texas game uh, on February 6th, that was all points in the paint. They didn't even... Yeah. They didn't need to shoot the 3, right? And then Oklahoma, you pretty much blow them out, so that wasn't much of a factor. Oklahoma so State, same deal. You got a lot of paint points in the game. Yeah, it was important to show. It was important to get back to a good feeling, to feeling like you are kind of trending in the right direction there from three. That was probably the biggest positive to me. I will say one other, uh, I don't know, possible negative here is they got to get Jalen going again. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because when over the course of these past like two, two three weeks of games where Jalen's been kind of quote-unquote slumping, mm-hmm. and again, I don't really like using that term because he's still averaging 13 points a game or whatever, I think the general assumption was he's just he's going to shake it off and become a dominant scoring force again. Well, it it hasn't happened yet. Are we sure it's going to happen? I mean, I think we assume it will, but do we need to be concerned? Yeah, and and like this happened for Ochai. We talked about that, and like I I don't know. But I mean, we're we're talking like six games now. It is. I mean, if you go back to the Texas game at home, so that gives you one, two, three, six games. In that span, he's scored seventy-three points over six games. That's twelve points yeah, per game. Yeah. So again, that again, I don't like using the term slump there because mm-hmm. he goes from averaging o- over twenty points a game to twelve points a game. Like that's 
But I think the thing to me is shooting. Like, I mean, he's he's shooting about thirty eight percent in those six games. So clearly the numbers down. But also it is funny because like in there is a twenty one and thirteen game against Baylor, right? It's just that you have a game like the Texas game where you have two. You have a game like the TCU game with seven. Yeah. And if you have a small sample size of six games, it's going to knock down the number. But yeah, I mean, you're seeing him hit a bit of a wall or, or something here. Um, would you at all consider... I, What's that? I'm I, going to preface this by saying this won't happen. We okay. know Bill Self cares so much about competition. This won't happen. Okay. If Kansas beats Texas Tech tomorrow night and Texas loses to TCU on Wednesday, okay. at that point, Kansas would go into the regular season finale in Austin. Having already clinched won. the Big 12 outright. Yes. Would you consider resting some players? Dewan, maybe, if he's not 100%. I would say probably even Kevin. I mean, we know he's still playing through ankle stuff. Would you consider resting Jalen Wilson just to get him right? I don't okay and saying hey, I don't this think is going to be an opportunity for us no, 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 to no, no, test no, no, some no. of the bench. I don't think I don't think listen there are certain players that rest can hurt or help. I think Jalen's the type of player that if you rested him it would actually hurt him more than it would help him. Do you think it's better for really him to do. try to shoot his way out? I think out it's of the better stuff. for him just if he just plays. Okay. I think it's way better. Yes. Now, but for someone like Dewan who is potentially done with an injury or even like someone like Kevin like I'm more open to it. But I actually think Jalen is the type of player that if you rest him it could actually backfire. I I tend to agree with you that I'm not overly long-term concerned about Jalen. But the more games I'm it not, stacks yeah, up, the more you Yeah, do. exactly. It's like, you know, two or three games into this little stretch where he's been, his numbers have dipped, you're like, it's fine, everything's fine. Well, now we're up to six games, and it's like, okay, everything's still fine, I think. But, like, I'm maybe, like, a little more concerned than I was. But not concerned yeah. to the point where I'm like, this is going to affect Kansas in the tournament. Yeah, yeah. Like all it takes is one good game, you know. Um, yeah. I and obviously now if, if the bench continues to struggle and Jalen continues to, that's, that's where it compounds into the problem. Yeah, that's bad. That's bad. But honestly, if you think about it, it was smart of KU to play a close game with West Virginia because you think so? Well, West Virginia, I looked yesterday. Let me let me see where they are now. I looked yesterday; they were twenty seventh on the net rankings. Um. So what's the cutoff for like? Quad for a home game, versus. it's top 30. Okay, they're 26th now. So, by you only beating them by two, they actually moved up a little bit. I think they were like 30th earlier last week. So, smart of you to win close to maintain that being a quad one win. Can you that's explain to me why KU wins. is still 6th in the net rankings? Uh, it has a little to do with like efficiency margin. But honestly, they more so use the net rankings to decipher who the quad wins are than they do to actually use... Like the actual rankings. Yes, yes. So that's really all you need to worry about. So that actually worked out for KU. Uh, my only other note from the game, how about Dewan Harris throwing down a, a slam, man? Yeah, that was nice. That was and nice. that also means we have I have an update to KU's dunk count this season. Okay. Would you like to take a guess who has the most dunks? You should be able to get the top two. Ernest. Who, or KJ. Yeah, KJ's number one. He has 38. Ernest is two. He has 20. Would you like to keep guessing? I'm guessing three is Grady. Three is Grady. He's got 13. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. Would you like to guess four? Uh, I don't think it's Kevin. Is it, it is Kevin. Oh, it is? He has nine. Okay. Fifth is Zuby. Wait, hold on. Okay. I don't remember a single Kevin dunk. Hmm. Do you? Uh, I'm having trouble <laughs> off the top of my head, but I I don't know. I believe it. He's a six six tall wing. Like, <laughs> I don't think he's had like a 
monster dungeon. I mean, remember, I think dude, more we, like we the, did, you know, we did some, we did a deep dive. We did some CSI yeah. type level research and discovered nine, that there were some, there were some dunks that I were credited lie to Jalen Wilson of them. over the previous seasons that. No, he's definitely it's, dunked. It's a stretch of the term dunk. He's definitely dunked. Uh, Zuby has six. MJ has three. Joe has two. Dewan okay. now one. Jalen Wilson was zero. Hmm. Will Jason or, is, is the case closed on Jalen not being able? No, because again, it's in his career he can. Uh, but no, Will, but, uh, we did the research. <laughs> but he still there's had two. some. There still is had two. some definite questions surrounding the evidence. But he still had two. So I I don't know. Are are we going to see him catch Dewan this year? That that might be an insurmountable lead. We'll find out. <laughs> He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk recap. Next, we're uh, going to be joined by Graham Dorian in about 15 minutes. This is RCST. Half past the hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We've got a Hawk Talk with Bill Self coming at you tonight from 6 to 7 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be joined by Graham Doran in less than 10 minutes from right now to talk a little more bracketology, where things sit for KU, the Big 12, and, and just kind of around the country. This is actually a championship week, or champ week, I don't know, whatever it's called. Uh, no, I don't the, think anybody called it championship week. It's, it's, it's just champ, champ week, week, right? Yeah. That sounds yeah. way cooler. Yeah, it does. Championship week you is too championship formal. championship week, you're a nerd. Yeah, champ week is like going to the sports bar, hanging out with your friends, drinking exactly. some beers, eating some apps and wings. What's championship, championship week? week is you went to a five-star restaurant and you're getting <laughs> you know served a seven-course dinner. It's like, well, to each their own, but yeah. no. Give me champ yeah, week. Yeah, okay. I don't know. It, do you, what do you think of the fact that there are some conferences that are going to have their conference tournaments done before the regular season yeah. is even over for KU? I mean, like... Cause I, like I, there's like the WCC, there's like um, there's a couple others. Yeah, I like think there's the some that end like Thursday and stuff. I like I part of me thinks that kind of stinks. Uh, I think it stinks too. But also like I get it because think about it for these some of the smaller conferences. This is their only chance to like to be on national a lot of, TV. Yeah, this is their only chance to get if, a lot of exposure. Exactly. If they told ESPN or whatever you know TV station is is airing their conference championship, like no. We're going to do it the same weekend of the Big 12 and the Big 10. They're going to be like, okay, that's they fine. Would, they would get four people watching. Yeah, exactly. We're going to put it on you know, ESPN+. Plus. We're not going to put it on ESPN2 like it might be now. So, no, that's you know, a good point. You get why that's it has to point. happen. But it is unfortunate. Yeah. I, I wonder if there is a correlation, if you're picking your bracket, of teams that have that week off. Like, Yeah, like like you know, every year when like, UNC Wilmington is a 12 seed, but they get to play their conference tournament two weeks in advance. And then they get to play a five of like somebody who made a deep run in their conference tournament in a power five conference. Like, does that is that why the twelve five matchup always is always one of those ones where the twelve wins? Well, I don't know because I feel like you could you could say it's a plus or a minus. It could be a minus. Like, what if a team no, is like yes, insanely yes. hot? Yes, and and now they have a week and a half. And a lot off. of those small schools like they're going to get hot to win their yeah. tournament. But on the flip side, what if the, what if a team is like kind of struggling toward the finish line and um. It's like a Missouri Valley conference year where they get two bids and the team who uh, loses early, they have some injuries and it allows them to get right and yep. then it helps them for two. So I, yep. I don't know. It, it might be kind of case to case. So anyway, our uh, Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk recap, you barely got me 94 to this 92. Was, if I'm not mistaken, this is the closest one we've had. I believe that is correct. We had another one that was like, like four five or, five. or six. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that one. So this one, I thought I had you after our first round picks. You had Jalen Wilson with your first pick. He just had 14 points on this. Yeah. I got 44 from Dewan Harris. 
And at that point, I was like, Sheesh. okay, I should be good. Then I had Grady Dick, who had 25. He played well, hit a bunch of threes. You had Kevin, who had 23. So at that yeah. point, I'm up 32 points. Kevin and Grady rounds. are both are really consistent players. They're usually both good for 20 to 25-ish, maybe 30 sometimes. This is where things went wrong for me. <laughs> Your third-round pick was K.J. Adams, who filled up the stat sheet, 13 points, six assists, or six rebounds, five assists. He had 34 pickhawk points. My third round pick was Ernest Duday, <laughs> who had minus four. Yikes. But oh, don't oh, worry. Don't worry. It goes from bad to worse yeah. for, for Derek. My next round pick was one Bobby Pettiford, who got negative six. So I got a negative ten combined from those two guys See, that lost by where, two. Remember earlier in the season we were like, oh, you draft MJ Rice and he might not play, but he'll, he'll score zero. You're I would have been golden. I would have won. I would have won. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, Trey Mitchell got me 33. Stevenson got you 24. Now, Yesifu yeah. got you negative one as well. Yeah. But th- that's just crazy that our our, our fourth best pick, or, or your fifth best, my fourth best, was our last picks that didn't even play with Michael Jankovic and Zuby Ejiofor, <laughs> which furthers just the idea of how bad of a bench game it was. Yeah. And even if you'd picked MJ Rice, he didn't play either. I don't think. No, Did he, he didn't. Did he play at all? No, he didn't play. Uh, no Zach Clements. At this point, it seems like Cam Martin's probably taking a medical red shirt. We heard yeah. Bill Self after the game say only Jalen and Kevin are going through senior day speeches. Um, he said, which I was trying to figure this out, he said we have six guys on the roster who technically are seniors. Who would that be? Kevin, Jalen, Cam Martin. Cam Martin. I guess Dewan is technically a senior. Yeah, even so though four. even though I think he's a redshirt sophomore. Yes, correct. Uh, Jankovic, I guess. So that means he'll be back another year. Yeah. That's how I interpret that. Who is the sixth? It, it's got to be like a walk-on, right? I, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure. Could be anyone. We don't know. All right, he's an expert. So we're tied now at 13. Yes, we are. By the way, I don't yes, want anybody are. to forget the score here, the scoreboard. You were trying to gloss over it because you knew that we were tied. Yeah. I just wanted to let the record show we are now tied. Okay. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Graham Doran joins us next. This is RCST. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson and excited to bring back this guest on after we had him on last week as well. Graham Doran. You can uh, check out all his work if you uh, go give him a follow at Graham Doran. On Twitter, you can also find all his bracketology at GrahamDoranBracketology.wordpress.com. Graham, thanks for coming on again. Um, since the last time we talked to you, Kansas won out, Alabama won out, Houston won out in their two games each last week. Purdue, though, lost at home to Indiana. If you had to narrow down how many teams at this point with one regular season week, one conference tournament week to go, is it only those three teams that even have a chance at getting the number one overall seed, or is there still a path for anybody else? I think you could argue that Texas has a chance uh, to get to the overall number one seed. I don't think that would happen. Uh, it would take a lot. But if they were to uh, just get through a very difficult schedule at TCU, Kansas at home, win the Big 12 tournament, perhaps beating uh, you know, Baylor, Kansas State, Kansas, teams like that along the way. I think Texas is still in play for it. Uh, but I think they're the only team on the two line that is in play for the overall number one seed. Uh, I really think for the most part, we're just talking about Kansas, Alabama, and Houston at this point. Uh, even for Purdue, I think it's probably too much to overcome. So would you say that the Kansas has clinched 
a one seed just in general at this point? Or I guess I, hypothetically, if they lost their next two and then lost in the first round of the Big 12 tournament, would they still be a one seed or do they just got to win one more game to clinch a one seed? How do you kind of view that for them? I really don't want to be the person that tests this theory, Uh, but I I think the Kansas Jayhawks are one seed. I think they've already done it. Uh, I don't think they need to even beat Texas Tech to do it because they already have 15 wins against quadrant one. And it's not just that they've won 15 games against the first quadrant. I'm confident they will be a one seed because they've beaten Texas. They've beaten Baylor. They've beaten Kansas State, three teams that I have on the number two line. They've beaten Indiana, who is now up to my three line and actually did it convincingly. And then they also have wins at TCU, at Kentucky, and true road wins. Uh, I think the Jayhawks are already there, um, but I really don't want to test uh, that theory. I think uh, it would be great if the Jayhawks clinch at least a share against Texas Tech. Okay, and, and obviously there is still, you know, shuffling to play for on that one line. You have KU as the number one overall seed at this point in time. Um, I, I know you talked a little about the potential for them to be there after we talked to you last week, and that was the day of the TCU game, which they ended up winning. So I guess just take me through why you have them as the number one overall seed ahead of both Alabama and Houston. So I think there is still a good argument for Alabama at the overall one seed because they've done some good work too. Uh, recently they picked up a nice road win uh, when they, they looked like they were in serious trouble uh, against South Carolina. Is that going to move the needle as far as being quality win? No, but it's one that keeps them uh, in play for that overall one seed. Uh, and then they avoided uh, what was narrowly a loss this week. Uh, on Saturday at home. So I think Alabama still is just, you know, doing a little bit, doing enough uh, with that win over Arkansas to stay in contention for the overall one seed uh, right now. They actually, if you look at the, the metrics, KPI still has Alabama number one. They have Kansas number two. So the two big resume metrics are split on whether Kansas or Alabama is number one. I will say it's very tight uh, between Alabama and Kansas and KPI for who is number one. Uh, I think Kansas has it. Uh, they just have so many quality wins. 15-5 and five against Quadrant 1 is really, truly unheard of. Nobody in the net era has won 15 games against the first Quadrant. And again, it goes back to it's not just winning Quadrant 1 games. It's who have they beaten. They've proven they can beat teams at the very top of the bracket. They've proven they can beat very good teams in true road games. I think Kansas has done enough to put themselves as the overall number one seed right now. Uh, but I will say it is, it is very close with Alabama. And I think Houston is, is right there. They are still 4-1 and one against Quadrant 1. So even though they haven't played a lot of Quadrant 1 games, they have an excellent win percentage in those games. They're also 12-1 and one against the first two Quadrants. Uh, so that really shows Houston with their number one efficiency and that list of quality wins that they have, even if they're not top end, they're just a lot uh, to only have two losses. I think Houston, Kansas, and Alabama, those are really the three teams fighting for the overall one seed. I know it's it's tough to go through hypotheticals from a bracketology standpoint because I can tell you, hey, if this scenario happens, what do they get? Because, you know, you sit there and go, okay, but I don't know what happens with the other teams too. But just in theory, if Kansas were to beat Tech like they're going to be expected to do tomorrow night and then they were to lose on Saturday to Texas – but then if they won the Big 12 tournament, do you, st- do you think they'd get the number one overall seed in that scenario? I do. Uh, it's tough to tell. As you mentioned, you don't know what's happening elsewhere. Uh, but I, I think that would probably be enough. At Texas, 
certainly isn't going to be a harm a harmful loss. It's not going to be something that the committee looks at and thinks, you know, that that's tough. Why didn't they win that game? It was at Texas. Nobody's going to blame a team uh, for losing at Texas. But if they were to win the Big 12 tournament, you're talking about adding probably three Quadrant 1 victories, maybe at worst two Quadrant 1 victories, two of which are probably going to be against teams competing uh, for two seeds in the NCAA tournament. So I think if they were to do that, uh, you know, we're looking at a team that at worst is probably 17 wins against Quadrant 1. And I just don't know how you say no to a team with that many victories against the top uh, schedule in college basketball. Well, elsewhere around the Big 12, you have West Virginia as one of your last four in. You have Oklahoma State as one of the first four out. Um, I don't know how far away Texas Tech is from being out. Is there any reasonable path that the Big 12 can get eight or nine teams at this point, or does it feel like there's going to be too much carnage uh, internally for that to happen? I don't think they're going to get eight at this point. This was a bad week for uh, the Big 12's bubble chances. Uh, That said, the opportunity is still out there. Oklahoma State is my second team out of the tournament, and they really need this Baylor game tonight. They, They do have a sweep of Iowa State that has a lot of mileage, but it's not quite as elite as it once was. Even a couple of weeks ago, uh, that looked a lot better than it's looking today. Uh, TCU, West Virginia, at Oklahoma, those are good wins, but their other Quadrant One wins don't really stand out, right? Those, those are good wins. They're not fantastic wins. I think Oklahoma State needs a statement win. When it needs to happen tonight against Baylor, and even that won't be enough to lock them into the tournament, but it will put them on the right side of the bubble uh, for at least this time. Uh, and as far as West Virginia, I don't think they need to win at Iowa State, but it would be really helpful. Uh, they do finish with Kansas State at home, so that could put them into contention if all they did is grab that win. But I think it's better for them if they were to pick up a road win. It would show uh, West Virginia's team that not only can win good games, they can do it on the road. So I think if they had to choose between beating Kansas State at home and winning at Iowa State, I think winning at Iowa State would be preferable. Right now, West Virginia's 16 and 13. So they really just need to create some separation that shows the selection committee they're better than a 500 type of team. You don't want to be too close to the 500, no matter how difficult a schedule you've played. Uh, you just need to show you're a winning basketball team. I think West Virginia definitely needs to pick up at least one of these two against Iowa State or Kansas State. But if they did both, I think Iowa State uh, or West Virginia's quickly locked into the tournament. Uh, I will say West Virginia right now, you look at it compared to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State has five quadrant one wins. West Virginia only has four, and that's not going to cut it. Uh, even if they picked up a fifth, again, not a guarantee because they already have 12 losses against Quadrant One. The committee constantly talks about how many chances did you have, and West Virginia's had a ton of chances to pick up quality wins. They really haven't done it. So I think only sweeping Iowa State and Kansas State would guarantee a bid for them. Um, but as far as Texas Tech goes, they really, really needed that win over TCU, falling by one. Uh, really probably is going to be the end of their NCAA tournament chase. The one thing that would turn that around very quickly <laughs> is if they could win in Lawrence. Uh, hopefully that doesn't happen for Jayhawk fans, but uh, that would really put Texas Tech into position to be back in the conversation immediately. Well, and what I think is super interesting about all that, like what you said there about the, the 500 record. So in West Virginia's case, if they did end up splitting, losing at Iowa State and, and winning that one against Kansas State, they'd be 17 and 14. Let's say they, I don't know, win their Big 12 play-in game and then they lose in the Big 12 quarterfinals. They'd be 18 and 15. 
I, I don't know, like how do, how do you view that as a bracketologist this year where maybe in some years past, like that record would be too big of an albatross to overcome versus just how insane the Big 12 has been this year? Do you think it'll just be kind of an exception to the rule? I think that record could work for West Virginia. Their bigger problem isn't the record at that point. It's what they did out of conference. And all of their quality wins, TCU, Iowa State at home, uh, Texas Tech on the road, they're all in the Big 12 other than a victory at Pitt. And, you know, Pitt's a, a good basketball team. In fact, they might win the ACC this year. Uh, but I don't think that's the sort of win you want to hang your hat on out of conference. So uh, I think 18 and 15, uh, that sort of record could get it done with as tough of a schedule as West Virginia's played. But you always have to play a very, very tough schedule to even get consideration with a record like that. We're talking to Graham Doran. Does great bracketology work here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, this is the start of, of Champ Week upcoming. Is, is there a smaller league that, that maybe you're most excited to see how it plays out this week? Every single year, I love Arch Madness. Okay. I cannot wait to That's see if the Bradley Braves end up winning it. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's just nothing like uh, St. Louis and, and Arch Madness. So for me, that would be it. Uh, it's always almost the best appetizer for you know the following week is going to bring you the big boys. But uh, it's, it's really the best league that's going to be playing this week. So I'm definitely looking forward to what should be a really competitive tournament. Belmont's there. Uh, Southern Illinois is having a good year. Bradley's there. I think you just have a lot of teams, Drake, uh, that could potentially win that tournament. So really, I, I, I don't know that I have a favorite for that tournament. I think there's uh, so many quality teams in the Missouri Valley this year. Unfortunately, none of them are at large candidates, but they're all definitely in play for a 12 or 13 seed if they win the thing. Well, with any any of the smaller leagues uh, that are having their tournaments, whether it's this week or the beginning of next week or, or whenever, uh what are maybe some of the smaller leagues that, that maybe for the bubble teams they have to be worried about it potentially being a two bid league? Conference USA is the one that uh, pops to mind immediately okay. because Florida Atlantic is hanging in there tough. Uh, they don't have the best resume in the world. I have them as my top 10 seed right now, uh, mainly because they just haven't played very tough competition, but they actually have pretty good splits against quadrant one and quadrant two, uh, even if the actual wins, if, you know, maybe Florida or UAB is the ones that stick out. That's not great. But at the same time, those are quality wins. They're doing a good job when they're facing the toughest teams in their schedule. So I think Florida Atlantic is trending towards getting a bid if they lose in their conference tournament. So that one really sticks out. Uh, I would also say, you know, watch the Mountain West. Uh, there's a, a lot of quality basketball teams there this year but also a chance for a bid stealer. If you're a team like New Mexico, you're probably on the outside of the tournament right now uh, following a heartbreaking home loss to San Diego State where they hit a buzzer-beating three. A team like New Mexico could definitely steal a bid. Utah State, depending on how they finish this week, they're not looking at an NCAA tournament bid unless they win their final two games and do some damage in the Mountain West tournament. Those teams are very dangerous as potential bid stealers, so I'd watch the Mountain West. In terms of, of how you kind of evaluate this point in the season, I, I'm curious, just from the bracketology perspective, like I remember, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, they used to have the metric of like the last 10, and you really had to look at like, well, how is the team playing at this point in the season? And that might be like one thing that they use. And I don't know, maybe maybe recently, like in the past few years, it, it feels like 
There hasn't been as much given to the conference tournaments in terms of, you know, maybe it'll bump a team, a seed line, but it uh, doesn't seem to maybe be having as big of an impact as it, as it did maybe a decade ago. How, how have you kind of felt like the committee has evolved in, in some of the way that they're using some of the different numbers and metrics kind of since the, the net rankings have been out? Well, I think they have used metrics, as you mentioned, a lot more than they did previously. Uh, back under the RPI, uh, in the past, the final couple years of the RPI, they started to incorporate other metrics a little bit, but nothing like they're doing today. Uh, efficiency predictive metrics matter a lot on where you're seated. Uh, also, your resume metrics, KPI, strength of record, uh, those are very important. And it's really a bit of a new innovation because the committee saw what was happening. You had a year where you had a three-seed New Mexico where they had a great record. The RPI loved them, but everybody was like, Oh, I, I just don't know if this team's actually any good. And sure enough, they lost in the first round, and it really wasn't a surprise to anybody. So I think the committee's evolved in a good way uh, to try to put teams more accurately uh, into the seed lines. Uh, but as far as uh, the conference tournaments go, I do want to touch on that. The committee has a process that really keeps conference tournaments from having a big effect on the field. Uh, and the process really starts on Wednesday. The committee will get together the Wednesday before the field is set, and they'll vote on the one seeds, and they'll set their initial one seed list. And then usually on Thursday, that's when they get through two to four seed lines in the morning, and by night, they're usually through the first seven seed lines. And then that Friday, they'll start putting together the eight, the nine, the 10, the 11 seeds, and even getting into those final conversations of, like, who's the last team in, who's the last two teams into the tournament uh, from the at-large perspective. So if you understand the process, you understand why you don't see a lot of emphasis on conference tournament results because the committee is going along the whole week seeding these teams, so it takes a lot to move them off of the seed line. Uh, so I will say the big exception to that is the number one seeds. You saw it with Kansas last year. Uh, I had Kansas at number four overall uh, entering conference tournament week last uh, year with Auburn number five overall, but I think it was a big disagreement among, amongst bracketologists was Kansas four and Auburn five or was Auburn four and Kansas five. Uh, and then eventually the Jayhawks won the big 12 tournament. Auburn lost their first game in the SEC tournament. It was a no brainer. KU should move up to third overall in the Midwest region, but they generally only do that for the first number one seeds, right? If you're not a number one seed, they're not going to move Tennessee up over Duke, despite Tennessee winning the SEC tournament and Duke losing to Virginia Tech. It's just almost too much hassle at that point uh, for them to go and, and rearrange all of the seeds throughout the field. So uh, I would just say to your point, Derek, the conference tournaments are not nearly as valuable as they used to be, and it really just has to do with the process. That's super interesting. Uh, well, I, I have one more question before we let you go. It's it's kind of a funny hypothetical. My, my co-host likes to joke around that November games don't matter. And uh, I, I was looking at it. Hypothetically, if Kansas would have gone 0-9 in November, that means they would be sitting at 16-13 and 13 this year. And I think looking back at it, they, they only had two quad one wins in November, Duke and NC State. So they'd still have 13 quad one wins. They'd still have the most. And they'd still be winning the Big 12. But they'd only be 16 and 13. How would you go about that as a bracketologist? Where the heck would you put them? Well, they'd be very similar to what Oklahoma State and West Virginia are right now. Uh, so I'd say November games absolutely do matter. Okay. Uh, and I think they help KU this year. I, and it's every single year. Bill Self and the KU Jayhawks go out and schedule tough 
and they win quality games, and those games matter in March for their placement. I mean, just think back to last year. If Kansas didn't schedule so tough out of conference, do they get that number one seed in the Midwest? And if they don't get that number one seed in the Midwest, are they drawing Providence in Miami on their way to a Final Four? KU history could have possibly been rewritten if they didn't have that schedule in November and if they didn't do well against it. So those games absolutely matter. All right. I wish I could I could slow clap you out of here, Graham. I appreciate that <laughs> answer. And uh, Graham, once again, uh, where can people find your work as uh, we're getting closer to Selection Sunday? Uh, just like you mentioned, at Graham Doran on Twitter, also GrahamDoranBracketology.wordpress.com. And I am participating this week in the 2023 Mock Selection Committee. Love if you're it. interested in that, you can go on Twitter and just search 2023 Mock Selection Committee. Love it. He's Graham Doran. We'll uh, try to have him on again next week. Thanks again, dude. Thank you. All right, that's Graham Doran joining us here. Talk a little bracketology on RCST. One hour down, two to go. Case of the Mondays, next. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How is it calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. That time on a Monday for Case of the Mondays. If you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, Venue 1235 has you covered. Located right off I-70, five minutes from downtown Lawrence, Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. All right, who's having a Case of the Mondays today? Sorry, right here, Carson Wentz. He was released earlier today by the oh. Washington Commanders to uh, oh. save them some cap space. So, are the commanders rolling out Taylor Heineke then? Unless they draft a quarterback? Um, yeah, I think Heineke's still under contract. They have Sam Howell, too. Sam Howell. Yeah, okay. So, maybe he'll be the starter. But, yeah, I mean, I would almost assume they're going to bring in either a veteran or draft someone, right? Well, they brought in a veteran, and it didn't work. No, well. Carson Wentz. Uh, try a different one. Hey, uh, Carson Wentz, future XFL MVP. Thoughts? Uh, no, I think... More likely, he goes to the XFL and gets benched. USFL MVP? Uh, no, still no. Oh come um, on! No, I, I. Uh, okay, so the Chiefs need a backup quarterback. Would you want Carson Wentz? Sure. Why not? You would. I mean, he's not. I mean, there's no way you'd be able to sign him to a deal he would accept, though, right? Well, maybe he's just going. Hey, I'll take a one-year, five million dollar deal, reset my value, try to be known as like a good locker room guy and then I'll, I'll go sign somewhere else the next season and also you know in, in the back of your mind Patrick Mahomes like what if he misses one game and I'm going to be set up well sure. under Andy Reid I come in I play well in that one game with Andy Reid sure. I'm going to get a much bigger contract right, you talk me into it sign him go get him go I get say him, Brett. no I'm out Brett I'm out Brett go I'm get out. him you want above all you want your backup quarterback to be like a good locker room di- guy okay is Carson Wentz a good locker room guy you think no he is everywhere he's been. He is known for being the opposite of being a good locker room guy. Oh, he is, I don't even think I knew that. Yeah, he's like that. That's been the problem. Like, oh, that his teammates don't nobody likes him. Love him. So no, I'm kind of out. Hey, on actually, that Brett. Idea. Hey, Brett. No. no, Brett. No, no. But how about that? Eric Bieniemy one of Carson Wentz. It's probably a good thing for him. Yeah. 
Uh, Alperin Shangun is having a case of the Mondays. He is a second-year player for the Houston Rockets uh, center. So Damian Lillard put up 71 last night on the Rockets. It's the second time this season that an NBA player has scored 70-plus. There just continues to be ridiculous games from individuals each and every night. I think it speaks to two things. One, the NBA is loaded with talent. And two, also, there is just like this lack of defense being played. But that's (laughs) a whole other story. Um, So after the game, Houston head coach Steven Silas threw Shangun under the bus. He basically said, like, he has poor effort. Uh, he didn't play with a lot of effort out there. He didn't play good defense, like all these things. Just completely threw him under the bus. But man, I don't know, man. Feels a little harsh. Like I don't think anybody was stopping game we- or Dame whether uh, Shangun yeah, was on the I, court I agree. or not. And also, like, dude, I mean, you can't be just throwing. You can't just be publicly throwing your player under the bus like that, right? Like you gotta show some support for your boys. You can't just just hang him out to dry. Yeah. And I think you're right. Also, like. Dame probably was going to score 70 against a lot of guys. So, you know, instead of maybe being like, wow, this guy sucks, maybe like, hey, you know, you played against a really good player, you tried your best, go get him next time. Well, didn't work out, that's for sure. Man. The San Diego Padres' future financials are on Case of the Mondays. All offseason, they gave out these just gigantic deals. Yeah. And... Another one has come now. This is an extension. They already had this guy in the contract. That would be one Manny Machado. He got an 11-year, $350 million extension. Woo! And so already this offseason, like I said, they had signed a bunch of guys. They they went out and they gave uh, Xander Bogarts a, uh, I forget what the exact numbers were. Didn't it was like 12, 300. Didn't they re-signed you Darvish? They re-signed you Darvish just a couple weeks ago to like Five or six years, hundred and eight million dollars. They got they signed um, another pitcher, right? Uh, I mean, they re- they resigned like Nick Martinez. I don't know all sorts of financials for the uh, San Diego Padres. They um, see, but this just goes to further show me that in baseball, money is arbitrary. Just go sign whatever is, you yeah. want. There's no dude. Do, do whatever you want. There's no uh, salary There's cap. No salary cap. There's just, just go the, sign whoever you want. Yeah. And if your ownership is willing to foot the bill, you're going to be good. Period. So they have they have three players who are on contracts that total $280 million or more with That's Machado, Tatis, and Bogarts. They have two other players making $100 million or more. I think Joe Musgrove got extended earlier this offseason, too. Five hundred for him. What's the entire Royals payroll? The Royals payroll? Yeah. I think it was like $80 million. And they've got two dudes over $200 million? Yeah, the Padres... Let's see. I mean, I'm guessing they have the most expensive payroll in the league, right? Yes, they do, for sure. Um, right now, their payroll for this season is projected to be $220 million, but with tax. Because once you pass the tax, like, that if you're a repeat offender, it adds up and stuff, all, all this sort of stuff. With tax, their projected is supposed to be, like, $250 million okay. for their payroll. So, yeah, I mean, triple the Royals' payroll, basically. And that's how you would get the podcast. Hey, Go sign somebody for a lot of money. Yeah, and that's just 2023. So that's like before the Machado extension kicks in. Um, who knows if they're going to extend like Juan Soto or anything. It's it's remarkable what they've done. I This is objectively funny, though, that they gave him this extension like a day after. Did you see this? So, What's that? Uh, spring training started up over the weekend. And yeah. as part of that, the new rules with like the pitch clock and everything. It's not just the pitcher has to get the pitch off before the pitch clock expires. But yeah, the batter has to get in the box. box. Yes, they have to get in the box. And if they don't, 
It's just an automatic strike. Oh. So there was a game that actually ended because it was it was a tie game. And so in spring training, if it's tied after nine, they just call it a tie. Because okay. why play extra innings in spring training, right? <laughs> um, and it was like a full count. And bottom of the ninth, like tie game, there were runners on. And the batter didn't get in the box fast enough, so he just got an automatic strike. End of the game. So wow. uh, Manny Machado took too long to get into the box before the first pitch that he faced. And like, it started him in an 0-1 count. And so he was asked about it after the game. And he said, like, basically, you know, it's ridiculous, all this stuff. And he said, looks like I'm going to be starting a lot of games this year in an 0-1 count. Dude. Which. Or just get in the box. Yes. What? What are we doing? Just, yeah, just Get exactly. in the box. Just speed up your process, man. Um, What? I will say, I there's part of me that likes this. It's going to speed up games. There's another part of I, me that I goes... Mean, if you're not into baseball, are you it's really gonna now going to start tuning in no, because the game gonna... is 15 minutes yeah, faster? Yeah, exactly. We're talking about the difference between a game being like three hours and 15 minutes and being like three hours yeah. and seven minutes. Like, you're so not like, gonna, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't. Yeah, so I, I don't I know if it's worth it. It's, yeah, I don't think it's worth the. But I will on. say again, like it is objectively funny. They gave him that extension. So this is just one year, for instance. They should just take like a million dollars off every time he starts in a no one count. Well, so in, in 2014, for instance, um, there's an article written about how hitters, when they get, when the count starts 01, their OPS drops to 592, which like major league average is around like 730. Yeah. So if you're just giving up 01 counts every time, you could be Manny Machado. You're still going to be like at that point, you might just drop from being a great hitter to an average hitter. So uh, that was just, certainly. Just, I'm telling you, just take a million off every time it's no one. It happens like 400 times. Like, oh, I owe you $50 million. Sorry. It's like, hey, Manny, you got to pay us now. Yeah. Bud. That's, that's how, how they'll get around the financials. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, case of the Mondays for cool NBA endings. We had two games over the weekend that ended, well, didn't end, could have ended with a player hitting like a full court 70 footer type shot that went in, but both were a tick late. The first was from Joel Embiid who hit like a 70-footer that would have, I think, tied the game against the Boston Celtics. And it was just after the buzzer. And then Paul George yesterday against the Denver Nuggets, tie game, hits the 70-footer. It was, I don't know, two-tenths of a second off from, from making it. So instead of going from unbelievable wins and unbelievable shots, doesn't count. And So do you think they should change it to where if you're shooting from beyond half court... You get like an extra whatever. After yeah, I think if you make it, we give you a little leeway. You know, it's cool. Why should it not See, count? But no, but okay. I have a problem with that though. Because then it's like you're only applying the rule if they make it. Yeah. No, but that, no, there's got to be some sort of, there's got to be something on the no, other side to balance it out. There's got to be something to balance it out. No. So it's like you lose a million dollars if you miss. <laughs> you can, hmm. you lose a million dollars off your salary if you miss. No, I, I, I think after if you make buzzer. it, we just give you more leeway. Or it's like a technical you know? foul. And if you, if you miss after the buzzer. Or if you shoot after the buzzer at all. Well, you know, part of the problem here is that over the last, like, handful of years, the NBA has turned into a league where the players will, like, they'll, they'll at the end of the first quarter, at the end of the third quarter, whatever, they'll hoist up a half-court shot but they'll purposely do it after the buzzer sounds because they don't want their stats to get affected. You think so? 
No, it 100% happens. Like, wow. there's players who talk about it. Um, in the same way that, like, That's so dumb. players will pass around the ball at the end of the game when the shot clock is spying because they don't want to be the one who gets the turnover, okay. right? And I wonder how much... I, I don't think of the Joel Embiid one, that, uh, that one, like, affected anything there because, like, he, he got it off as fast as he could. There just wasn't enough time. But the Paul George one, there's, in the back of my mind, I wondered if that was something where he was used to doing that and so that's just what he was doing there and so he got it off just a hair late but if he tried to shoot it faster maybe he would have missed I guess maybe possible so it's like a process yeah I don't know uh, case of the Mondays oh. for big leads not a good weekend to be up big in college basketball terrible weekend first he had Michigan State did you see the end of that game no Michigan State is up 93 to 81 or 91 to 81 with under 90 seconds left, they give it up. It goes to OT. Iowa wins. Oof. Terrible. This one was the worst, though. Miami. Miami's playing like 7-20 and 20 Florida State or 8-20 and 20 Florida State. Yeah, they're in a bad year. For they're up 24 early in the second half. 24 points. And they lose on a last-second buzzer beater. Oh, by the way, they only dropped three spots in the MVP poll. Explain that one to me. <laughs> and then Texas also, against Baylor, they were up huge early in the game. They were up 18-4. to four. Baylor had four points like eight minutes into the game. And they just gave it away. Just gave it away. I'm not too upset about that one. Though. No, that one certainly worked to the chagrin of Kansas. Oh, that was great. But, yeah, I mean, just a, a bad... And then this, there, this wasn't a big lead, but... Arizona State buzzer beater against Arizona. Also, yeah. there wasn't a bit. There wasn't that other team really had a big lead there, but yeah, just a, a bad weekend to be to have a big lead or to be leading late in a game because there was a lot of L's. Yeah, and the Arizona State one was the uh, I guess basically what Paul George and Joel Embiid did, except they got it off in time. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the Michigan State one really bad. The Miami one really bad. Which would you be most... Obviously, it's not the Texas game because that's so early on. Which would you be more upset about if your team lost that way? The Michigan State one or the Miami one? I think it has to be... I don't know. Uh, okay, Probably Miami. I well, think in a vacuum, I it's think, the Michigan State one, but I think it's overall Miami because they know. were... Well, it, listen, it was to your rival. The, the, ish, the thing with the Michigan State one is the game went to overtime. So it's not like you lost. Right, like you had a chance to still recover and actually win the game, so that makes that pretty bad. But that also means the entire overtime. You're like, really, like we we getting down, getting up 24 against a team with seven wins or eight wins, and blowing it. And it's your rival. That's terrible. Yeah, I I think that one's worse. That is terrible. Now, if 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 both were hypothetically against the same level of team, and not your rival. Then the Michigan State one is probably worse, but yeah. Maybe. Just Maybe. 90 seconds left to lose 12. Yeah, that's, that's bad. so bad. That is bad. Uh, last one, case of the Mondays, the AP poll. All right, Derek, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need you to explain something. Houston's number one. Fine. Sure, whatever. They play the, the schools of the blind and deaf. Whatever. <laughs> Fine. Alabama's two. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. KU three. But then I did a little closer examination. KU had more first-place votes than Alabama. Why are they three and Alabama two? I guess just more people have Kansas three than have Alabama three. What, like, what What are we doing? Because probably everybody... How does, how does having more first-place votes equate to being behind a team? Here's my guess. I'm guessing the majority of people who voted Kansas one voted Bama two for a resume reason. 
Why wouldn't they vote Houston too? Because at that point, if you're voting Kansas one, you're voting them there because of the resume. Yeah, and because so if you're they, going off they resume, have a thousand quad one wins. Yeah, exactly. But so if you're going off they resume, have two million quad one wins. Alabama they have probably nine billion quad one wins has a better resume than Houston because of the quad wins that Houston doesn't have. Yeah, because Houston's playing the terrible schools. <laughs> And so that's why I think a majority of people who have Kansas 1 have Alabama 2. And then most of the people who have Houston 1 have Alabama 2 because they've just been doing the you move up and so you stay there. So they get more points or whatever. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's just slightly more to Alabama. Well, I think that's stupid. Well, it if makes you feel better. first place votes, you should be ahead of the other team. Yeah, if it makes you feel better. The AP poll does not matter. The AP poll is stupid, correct. And I understand that I'm getting mad for no reason mm-hmm. because none of it matters. Yeah. I understand that. But even still... That struck a nerve with me. Well. That struck a nerve. Who knows? Maybe next week Alabama will have lost to, I don't know who they play this week, Tennessee or somebody, maybe. Houston won't have lost. Houston. They might lose. No, they will won't. They? Because they play the teams that are ranked 250 in Kenpo every week. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by Zakiah Franklin, KU women's basketball guard. Uh, to talk a little KU women's basketball. They took down Oklahoma State over the weekend. They look at the Iowa State on Wednesday. We'll discuss next. This is RCSD. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Big victory yesterday. Kansas takes down Oklahoma State, even without one of uh, the top players on the team with Holly Kerskeeter, who missed the game due to injury. And so uh, Kansas looking to get back to the NCAA tournament. Big victory in that regard. Now they'll be back at it on Wednesday night for senior night, the final uh, home game of the regular season. You can go out to the game. It'll be at 7. You can also hear it here on KLWN, pregame 645 here on KLWN. We're joined now by Zakiah Franklin, who put up a big 15 points in that win over Oklahoma State. So you take down the Cowgirls over the weekend. Uh, wh- what do you think was the biggest thing that the team did well that led to the victory? Uh, the biggest thing was just uh, we felt like we kind of got after them on the defensive end. Um, we just wanted to lock in on that end and let that translate to our offensive game. And has that been something that you feel like you guys have really picked up here lately? Because it seems like, you know, even like in the Oklahoma game where you, you fell just short, it feels like the defense has really been kind of coming together for you guys of late. Yeah, most definitely. We really take pride in uh, the defensive end and just like pretty much the toughness that's. So we kind of focus on that, and uh, we know that we focus on that on the defensive end. It'll translate to our offense. Well, it was the 500th career victory for your head coach, Brandon Schneider. Did that, I don't know, add to any celebration? What was kind of the feeling from the locker room about helping coach get that number? Uh, It was definitely uh, talked about. uh, It's a huge milestone and I'm just uh so happy that I got to be a part of it me and my teammates we all are in uh just proud of him and uh uh yeah well do you have a a favorite coach Schneider story that you think uh I don't know echoes what he's like as a head coach the most uh there's there's too many stories to pick just one but uh he's just a really a great great coach an even better person um and pretty much the type of person that he is, he's just, uh, he'll fight for you pretty much. Uh, and uh, he's really looking for that in return. And it's it's really easy to do because of the type of person that he is. So, Do you remember what the message was when he initially recruited you to Kansas? Uh, yeah, he was very, uh, pretty much straightforward. He just uh, had a vision and 
the vision basically was just that he wanted to turn this program around and he felt like I could be uh, a pretty good uh, good piece to, for, to do that. And uh, that was pretty much something that I believed in and him and the coaching staff and we kind of just went from there. Well, and certainly it's it's turned out that way. Um, so Tayana in the gaming at Oklahoma State had 12 points, 21 rebounds, and six blocks. How how helpful is having someone like that when, when they're feeling it that way in terms of cleaning up everything inside with those rebounds and blocks? Uh, it's extremely, extremely helpful. Uh, the presence that she has uh, in the paint. Obviously, Holly missed the game with injury. Uh, how, how much of that was a conversation before the game in, in terms of everybody kind of needing to step up in her absence and, and pick up what, what – she wasn't able to bring for uh, playing in the game? Uh, it was talked about definitely. Uh, everyone needed to step up uh, and just uh, do their job pretty much. And just uh, we knew that if we were able to do that, uh, we would be able to get the win. Well, with, with Holly having the injury, we've seen Ioana have injuries throughout the season. Uh, we saw Yvette miss a little bit of time a few weeks ago. Has this season been – I don't know, frustrating at all with, with some of the injuries that, as a team, you guys have had to deal with? Uh, I wouldn't say frustrating. Uh, it's kind of what comes with the game, uh, fortunately. Uh, injuries, and you just don't know. There's no timing for it. But you just kind of got to roll with the punches and just uh, move on. But uh, we've been able to, to – we've been talking about our depth of the team all season, and pretty much we've had people step up in games where, uh, like you said, we were able to miss out on certain players. So, well, As we're, we're getting to this point in the season, last week of the regular season, next week you have the, the Big 12 tournament. Um, obviously the goal for you guys to make it into the NCAA tournament, is that something that, you know, if you guys end up getting a similar seed potentially to what you guys did last year, um, because of some of the injuries you've had to deal with, because of some of the, the experience that you had in the tournament last year, do you guys feel more confident about kind of this time of the year? Do you feel, I don't know, like the experience is helpful at this point of the season that, that you can try to make a run uh, to go deep into the postseason this season? Yeah, we're definitely confident. Uh, we learned a lot from our run last season. I mean, yeah, last season. So uh, pretty much uh, our focus right now is just maintaining just getting one game at a time, uh, just adding to our resume. And if we can make a deep run in the postseason, uh, our experience will definitely show. Well, next up, you get a top 25 Iowa State team at home in Allen Fieldhouse. People can go by at 7 o'clock. You can also hear it here on KLWN with pregame starting at 645. Uh, this is going to be your guys' second meeting with the Cyclones. Uh, what sticks out to, uh, about what makes Iowa State such a good team? Uh, just their, uh, pretty much their versatility and obviously just the way that they can shoot the ball. Uh, they're a great team and, uh, we're really looking forward to playing them. And so what are going to be some keys for you guys to, to play well on Wednesday night against them? Uh, we'll probably, our keys will be just to just lock down defensively, just, uh, to be disciplined, uh, try to win the toughness stats, uh, out rebound. Uh, take care of the ball, the possession game, and just finish place. It's going to be senior night for both, uh, I guess, well, technically four seniors on the roster with you, Holly, and and Chisholm, but uh, 
your your plan is to to utilize that extra season. Um, but I guess is it is it I don't know. Once you get to this point in the season, does it get a little extra emotional when you see, hey, this is the final home game for the seniors, and especially for you now, where you go, man, this this could be me next season. Yeah, uh, it does get a little emotional, but you kind of just gotta, you know, lock in and just stay in the moment and just uh, take it one game at a time, and that just makes you enjoy it even more, though. Well, as far as the two seniors who are going to be celebrating on senior night with with both Holly and Chisholm, uh, we'll start with Chisholm. What has she kind of meant for the program, being someone who came from right down the street at Lawrence High School and uh, helping out with the KU women's basketball program and being a, uh, what is this, fourth year for a player uh, in the program? Oh, what has she kind of meant to, to you guys as, as a team? Chisholm has meant a lot to us as a team. Uh, she's obviously had a different, much different role than some of us, but her role is just as important as the people on the court. She's uh, a huge part of why our culture has changed over the years, and she'll be a huge part of that in the years to come. So. And then Holly celebrating senior night as well. I guess we'll wait to see her status for the game after she missed the last game also. But uh, what has she meant to you guys as a program, as a team, as, as a teammate? Holly has meant a lot to us. Uh, she's just been a great player over the years. She's gotten better each year. Uh, a lot of respect from other players for her uh, in the in the conference and coaches as well. She's just a great player overall. Mm-hmm. Is there extra motivation to try to win that final home game for the seniors? Yeah, most definitely it is. Uh, not only just that, but just like I said before, just we want to add to our resume, uh, looking to go into the postseason. And if we were able to get the win, it'll be uh, big for us. We're talking with Zakiya Franklin of the KU women's basketball team, uh, taking on Iowa State Wednesday night, pregame 645, tip-off 7. You can go by to uh, Allen Fieldhouse for the game or tune in here on the radio. All right, fun one to finish out here. It is National Strawberry Day. What is your favorite fruit? My favorite fruit is mangoes. Okay, easy one. I, I don't know that I've ever had a, a mango straight up, but love mangoes and smoothies and everything. Is there, is there anything else that would be in contention for you? Uh, it actually would be strawberry. So Okay, perfect. Well, Zakaya, appreciate the time. Good luck on Wednesday. Good luck uh, rolling through the rest of the season here. Thank you. That was Zakaya Franklin of the KU women's basketball team as they get ready for Iowa State on Wednesday. Then they're on the road against TCU. The TCU won a uh, team that, They'll be expected to beat beat them by, I don't know, 20, 30 points in Allen Fieldhouse earlier this year. The Iowa State one is a big one because if they if they beat Iowa State, right now I, th- I think Kansas is sitting good that they should be in the NCAA tournament, but if, you know, it's it's not to a point where you say, oh, well, if they, you know, they lose the next two this week and then lose in the Big 12 tournament that, you know, it, it might be in a, a little bit of danger. But uh, you beat Iowa State, you're for sure in the tournament. And you're probably maybe even moving up a seed line at that point. So very big one, but trying to take care of a home court advantage. So go make it a home court advantage. Go out to Allen Fieldhouse at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. All right, we're going to talk some college basketball, some of the stuff that happened over the weekend with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we've uh, got a NCAA tournament vignette. We're going to start airing those from Westwood One. Then we'll get into some Bill Self audio, some player audio from the postgame after KU took down West Virginia 
on Saturday. Um, college basketball happened over the weekend, besides KU, though, so it did. let's discuss. So uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was the battle for the number one overall seed. We had Graham okay. Doran on at 340, uh, talk a little bracketology, and you know that was one of the questions I asked, and the idea that basically it feels like to me the number one overall seed is basically down to three teams, where even if Purdue wins out, or UCLA, whichever one you think is like the final one Purdue, seed. Purdue sucks. I well, we'll get to them in a second here. Um, <laughs> okay. It 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 feels a little bit like to me that it's those three, no matter what. And Graham kind of backed that up. So that means it's it's down to these three teams. And when I look at the schedules, KU has by far the most difficult. I, I shouldn't say by far. Well, it's yeah, two obviously. games. But like, oh, you're talking about ten season. Yeah, to end oh, the regular season. Okay. And then obviously the Big 12 tournament would be way tougher than the AAC or the SEC. Yes. So that makes it a lot tougher. But like, okay, for instance. And have you looked at the rest of the American? It's like one of the worst conferences Yeah, dude, it's in horrible. The like, it's, horrible. it's terrible. Um, so Houston, their schedule, their first game this week, their weekday game, I guess, is at home against Wichita State. Who is 109th in Ken Palm? They have a 95% chance of winning. You compare that to Alabama and Kansas. Alabama's playing number 29, Auburn, at home. Kansas is playing number 51, Tech, at home. Both have 83% chances to win. So there's a little jump for Houston, but Alabama's first game probably a little bit tougher than Kansas's first game. Um, let's see. And then the second game, Houston does have, I guess, this is the most losable game that Houston could could have in conference play. It's at Memphis. Memphis is ranked 39th on Ken Palm. Ooh. Well, Ooh. they still have a 72% chance to win. And you compare that to Alabama, who's at Texas A&M, who's 25th on Ken Palm. They have a 62% chance to win. And Kansas, who's at Texas, the number nine team on Ken Palm, who has a 42% chance to win. So the schedule is a lot tougher. The path is a lot tougher for Kansas to win out this week and, and try to kind of keep pace. Do you do you think if like if if, if Kansas yes wins both this week, okay? Do you think they could end up being the number one overall seed regardless of what happens in the Big Twelve tournament? Like even if they lost in the first game. Yes, yes, I do. Well, okay. Their first game in the Big 12 tournament would be against what, like either, who's the 10 team? Oklahoma. So it'd be well, it'd be, the, it'd be the winner of the 8-9 against... game if they're oh, the one nine. seed. Okay, yeah, that's right. So, so it'd like, be... Uh... Tech and West Virginia probably. Yeah. So you win that game, and then you'd probably have to play like Iowa State maybe in the next round. Or a I mean, the State. thing is right now it's so hard to tell because everything is so congested in the Big 12 that um, like... You look at it at the moment, Kansas State and Baylor are tied for the three seed. That means whoever loses the tiebreaker would be the four seed. So it could be Baylor or K-State, but what if, you know, TCU or Iowa State jumps? I don't know. Uh, but right now, yeah, one of Baylor or K-State versus one of TCU or Iowa State. That's a really tough second game. It is. But if you win that one, if you win that game, there is no doubt in my mind, 1,000% number one seed, number one overall seed. I would agree with that. The, the scenario to me becomes if interesting. If you win against West Virginia or Tech and then you lose that game, I think you're probably still maybe number one. Potentially, possibly, maybe still. I think the one that possibly. could get you is, in that scenario, 
I think Alabama could still get you if they were to win out and win the SEC title or the uh, tournament. I think that would be what hurts you. If if Kansas, though, I guess the way I look at it, if Kansas only loses one game the rest of the way, they're going to be in good shape to get the number one overall. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Whether they went out in the regular season and then they— Or lose the Texas, you know, then they win the Big 12 tournament. Exactly. Yes. I would agree with that. How about this happening in college basketball? I mean, against- they're going to have 9,000 quad one win. <laughs> How do you how do you not how do you give that not give that team a one seed? Well, you know one thing that, that has to to happen. Kansas needs to make sure like West Virginia hangs on as a quad one win, you know. So maybe it would be for the best if they lose to them in the Big Twelve quarterfinals. No, no, <laughs> no. I'm joking. Um, how about this? Gonzaga beat St. Mary's over the weekend in to earn the, a shared the, title in the West Coast Conference. The battle of the West Coast teams. Yeah, the annoying thing there is that Gonzaga now has 11 straight basketball conference titles. Oh, in the WCC? Yeah, and so KU obviously has the record with 14 straight. It's going to be so annoying if Gonzaga breaks that because it's not— Dude, Nobody cares. You know, I, But it's it's going to be an annoying thing because every I, time I we talk about it— I guarantee you it'll be more like—people will still be like— it'll be one of those things where—I'm trying to think of an example because there probably is an example where it's like, oh, this team had this incredible run. Kansas had 14— Conference titles. That's the second longest in history. And then nobody's going to remember what the actual longest is with Gonzaga. You know yeah. Saying? No, it's like the footnotes. It's like whenever you see, they'll be like, these are the records of the best college like, football coaches over the last decade. And then, like, back in the early 2010s, it'd be like uh, the Boise State head coach um, would pop up, like, number one. And it's like, well, of course. But then they'd start <laughs> doing lists where it would be, like, best record among Power I'm Five. I'm sure you could coaches, find an example. Know? Yeah, I'm sure you could find an example of that where it's like, Here's a team that accomplished a miraculous feat, or here's a player, or coach, or whatever that accomplished a miraculous feat, and it was like the second best, but nobody remembers or acknowledges the best. Yeah, that's what I think it would be. Well, I, I maybe this is further reason to invite Gonzaga to the Big Twelve and their they, conference they title streak. They definitely right? wouldn't win then. Yeah. yeah. So you need to get it done within the next couple of seasons because they're they're Brett, not going to lose the WCC. Brett, make the call. Make the call, Brett. Right now, or have them at least join some conference that the. They're not going to they win might as easily. Lose. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, it will be annoying because then you're just going to have to make the. They still have to win it four more times, though. Yeah, and so I'm not, I'm not, but I'm not arguing that like obviously KU's would be. I more I think impressive. they're still going to lose. I don't think we'll they're going to break KU's streak. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I just, dude, who Saint Mary's going to take them out? Saint Mary's is a powerhouse. But Saint Mary's had an unbelievable year this year, and they still couldn't get it done over them. Saint Mary's, the conference Saint is not Mary's good enough. Is no a powerhouse. No absolute powerhouse. They've got a great team this year. They're usually a good team. Uh, no. So, like, they're, they're a it's just annoying because you're going to have that footnote of, like, oh, this is the longest power five way, streak. St. Mary's, St. Mary's uh, tempo is 359. Disgusting. On offense. Yeah, that's kind of a, I'll be honest, like, that's kind of a nightmare matchup for me in the Sweet 16. <laughs> Kansas gets the one, St. Mary's Dude, is the four or five. Out of 363 No, teams, thank you. Out of 363 teams, they're 359 in offensive tempo. Also, Houston's three forty six. Yeah. Well, that's because who Houston is the slowest? Sucks. That's because Houston sucks. It's got to be like Virginia or something, right? It's probably Wisconsin. Wisconsin does play slow. That? Yeah, I'm I'm going down. It is uh, North Texas. The bottom five are St. Mary's, Virginia, Jacksonville, Charlotte, and North Texas. 
So imagine Virginia gets Kansas's uh, Virginia's Kansas's eight. St. Mary's is the four. Houston's the opposite one seed. They'd have to play in the final four. That would be that would be ultimate tempo. Um, disgust. That would suck. Yeah, that that would be. Please avoid that at all costs. How, how about we mention that that Arizona Arizona State game that Arizona State won on a buzzer. Yeah. UCLA beat Colorado yesterday. The end result of those two happening, UCLA clinched the Pac-12. I I think it would be very funny if UCLA ends up getting a one seed here. I don't think they to, will. Unless they surpass Purdue. Well, the problem is they're... But Purdue stinks, so it's possible. Yeah, so so UCLA does not have good wins. Like, they just don't. But if they win through the Pac-12 tournament, maybe they'll get a couple more. Um, but they're like okay. strength of record about numbers, their net weeks, ranking, it's all good. About three weeks ago, I told you that I had not watched a second of UCLA basketball. Mm-hmm. That statement is still true. Well, they're 7-4 and four versus Quad 1, but they're 14-4 and four when you combine Quad 1 and Quad 2. Purdue, meanwhile, is is fourteen and five when you can combine quad one and quad should two. I, should I watch UCLA? I think you should. I, I think so? they're good enough to win a title. I really do. I mean, if we're making the list right now, let's, number, let's actually do this. They're number two year. on Ken Palm. Yeah, let's do this here. How many teams would you have to feel comfortable saying they can win a title? Not necessarily they will, okay. but like, I, I for just, me, the teams the I would put in that list: Houston, yes; UCLA, yes; Alabama, yes. I lean no on Tennessee. No, Tennessee's going to lose in the round of three. All right, out on Tennessee. Purdue, no. Purdue, no. I'm fine with that, too, the freshman. What about Connecticut? UConn? Yeah. The metrics say yes. No. Kansas? Okay. Um, Kansas, yes. St. Mary's? St. Mary's, no. Texas? Texas, I, I guess, yes. Okay, so there's five. Gonzaga? Their defense is so bad, dude. No, yeah, no. Uh, Arizona, I would. Eh. I would lean, again. Their defense is not very good. I would have but, leaned yes, but maybe no. I'm gonna lean yes for now, unless the like the defense has to show steps these next two weeks. Okay, fine. Yes. Uh, Marquette, no. Yeah. Baylor defense is too bad, probably man. No. Yeah, probably. But again, no. I guess I'll, I'll put them in the same category as Arizona. Yeah. Show me something in the next two weeks on defense, and we'll talk. Creighton, no. Like part of this too is the say although, it out loud test. Although you know. Creighton had, I think they started the season pretty poorly. But they did. They, they've been on fire. They've been really good lately. Well, they, their big man, Kark Brenner, was hurt for a bit, and they went like 0-5 or something in the games without him. Yeah. If, but again, I like— I still think no, though. Part like, of this is, is Creighton, the say-it-out-loud test. Like, is Creighton going to win exactly. the Exactly. <laughs> Close your eyes. Envision— And envision Creighton cutting yes, down the net. Yes, you can't. No. So that's seven. Arkansas? No. No. San Diego State? No. no. Maryland, Maryland, no. Xavier, no. Xavier, no. Okay, Xavier. so uh, here's where we're at. We're at seven teams. I mean, if you wanted to get crazy, you could maybe like throw Kentucky in there, I guess. I guess. I really hate that, but I mean. I don't think their defense is good enough. They're 78th on defense. They can't guard a ball screen. No, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not, not doing that in. to us. No. No. I watched Indiana, so no. Definitely not Indiana. Okay, Iowa so this State, is interesting. No. Let's get into the, the Purdue State, side no. of this conversation with the Indiana beating Purdue. Okay. There's a part of me that wonders... If that is that is the uh, recipe to to beat Purdue, possibly because think think about what Indiana does well. There's two things that stick out to me. Played a fast, or I shouldn't say they played a fast tempo. They are a very good transition team. Indiana is right. Sure. You know what else Indiana has? They have a mobile big man. That's what Kansas. Very athletic big man. 
both of those things are what Kansas has. True. That's so should point. we not be that con- uh, Derek, I'm telling you right now, Purdue is not going to make it to where they would play Kansas. Okay, I They're uh, not going to make it. We'll see. I I they're do gonna think they're going to lose. I think they're matchup proof from like a first round matchup cuz like what mid-major is going to be able to stop Zach Eady? They're going to lose. I if a team gets hot from 3 or, or Zach Eady gets in foul trouble, yeah, they probably will. But I, I could you not see the case being like Kansas gets a one seed, Purdue falls to the two line, and they become Kansas's two seed, and everybody's freaking out. How are we going to defend Zach Eady? And then to your point, they lose it's in the fine. Sweet Sixteen before it even gets yes, there. Yes, Purdue would not make it. Or if they hypothetically Kansas. do, again, let's point to the Indiana games and say, okay, maybe that's still not an ideal matchup for Kansas, but like Indiana, who are both those things, good transition team with a mobile big man. That's what Kansas has was able to beat them. So. You know, I, I don't over worry. I guess is my point here. Yeah, no. I'm listen. I'm I know not, you're I'm not, not worrying at all. Not. Yeah, I'm not even the slightest bit worried because Purdue is going to lose in the round of 32, probably. <laughs> or, the uh, round of six, or the Sweet 16. I guess some other notes from the weekend: North Carolina beat Virginia. Like cool for Carolina. Maybe they're going to make it again. I think they're. Are they on the? First How mad would you still? be if Carolina was KU's like eight or nine? That would really piss me off. Yeah. I, I mean. Want- K would win, so I guess it wouldn't be that mad. But. <laughs> well, let me look at Graham Doran, so his latest bracketology, and see who the eight and nine seeds are, and you tell me which ones you would least want. Oh, this, um, this is going to make you mad. This oh, is make you mad. no, I'm looking at it right now. What? <laughs> no. Michigan State. Also, Illinois. Michigan that, State, fine. Hey, okay, wait. We need Bracket the Illinois Matrix game. Bracket Matrix has Kentucky as an eight. We need that the, would piss me off. No, no, I'm looking at Graham Doran. It has Michigan State at the eight, Illinois at the eight, which that would be fun just because we have the... Uh, the what is it called secret scrimmage game? We get to That's actually true. see it on the court. That's true. Uh, Missouri That's true. They, no longer secret. There's no way they'd give Missouri as their eight, right? They I already played them. I don't think so. Although then again, think of the the TV. Well, ratings I don't remember did. what bracket it was, but it was like the bracket. It had it had Missouri as the eight in KU's region and K State as the jeez as the three, I think, or the four. Yeah, so they would have played K. So they, it would literally be they would play Missouri in the round of thirty two and then K State right after. Well, the nine seeds, Iowa, Rutgers, Nevada, Auburn. Rutgers is the one where I'm like, please no. Rutgers is intriguing. They're the type of team that beats really good teams, then they like lose to bad teams, and then but they play really tough. They're physical. Like I, I want nothing to do with that in the second Here's round. Here's a question for you. If uh-huh. Providence is an eight or a nine, would the fact that they played KU in the tournament last season— I don't think so. That you don't think that, that no. they take that into account at all? No, not really. I wasn't sure. Every year's different. Uh, but that's yeah, true. so that's kind of interesting. If, Kentu- if it's Kentucky, I'm going to be really mad. Like, really mad. Like, I don't even know what I would do. Who would you rather have to to play again? Hypothetically, Indiana or Kentucky? Oh, Indiana, easily. Okay. Because it went better, I guess? Yeah, I guess. But I think, uh, yeah. There's a part of me that thinks Indiana has improved so much more from when they played. not very good. Yeah, that's the thing. Indiana's just the better team. I'd almost rather play Kentucky again. Actually, I would. I just yeah, but that would just make me. That would just that would make you nervous. Irritate me. Yeah, yeah. It would just irritate. That's me. fair. Like why? But it, this it, it goes back to the same thing that's happened with Kentucky before. They suck. They get a low seed, and then they go on a run, and everyone's like, "Ooh, Kel's a great coach." All right, so here's no, here, he just sucked in the regular season. So I have your I have your nightmare bracket based on what you've been telling me. Yes, the nightmare bracket would be like no, no. Here, wait, I got it. I got okay, it. Okay, okay. Eight seed Michigan State. Yes. Nine seed Missouri. Yes. Four seed St. Mary's. Five seed Kentucky. Uh, three seed Kansas State. Two seed UCLA. Sure. Who <laughs> you haven't seen play? <laughs> Perfect. 
We figured it out. That, so would, that actually, would be bad. Yeah. Yes, because Michigan State and Kentucky are teams that suck, and then they make runs because they have good talent, but their coaches suck in the regular season, and then the talent gets good in the in the tournament, and people think they're good coaches. I mean, it's the end goal, postseason. All right, well, uh, we got to take a break. Two hours down, one to go. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We got some Bill Self, self post game next and a uh, NCAA tournament event yet. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Thanks for listening to the best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN and Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.